Welcome to Live from Size Lounge, showcasing alumni of Iowa State University and Cyclones Everywhere, making communities, Iowa, and the world a better place. Well, hello, Cyclones Everywhere, and thanks for tuning in to Live from Size Lounge today. My name is Matt Van Winkle with the ISU Alumni Association. One Wednesday each month from now through May, we will feature a 30-minute conversation with the Laura and Russ Talbot Endowed President and CEO of the ISU Alumni Association, Jeff Johnson, and a special guest to focus on campus life. So with that, I'd like to introduce Dr. Jeff Johnson. Jeff, how are you doing today? Hey, Matt. How are you doing? First and foremost, I'm enjoying this weather. Uh, yes. I can't believe it's in the 60s in March. Yes. Unbelievable. After the, Unbelievable. the long winter we've had, it's, it's, it's definitely a, a nice sign to see spring is in the air here in Ames, it's Iowa. Here. It's here. Well, Je Jeff, before we get to your interview, let's take a minute and talk about uh, one of our programs here at the Alumni Association, the Legacy Club and the month-long Size Adventure Squad initiative this month. It's a really cool uh, opportunity. It's a great opportunity to enroll your child, maybe your grandchild, your niece or nephew into our Legacy Club. If you sign up by March 31st, you're going to receive $5 off of enrollment. Plus, one new enrollee will randomly be selected to win a really cool prize package. Some of the items include an ISU Bookstore gift card, a spirit pack, and a special behind-the-scenes at ISU video tailored to the winner's specific interests. Very cool opportunity, Jeff. Yeah, and this program, we're so happy that we were able to bring this program back. Uh, it used to be called the Legacy Program, now called the Legacy Club. Mm -hmm. And it's a unique opportunity for individuals to sign their, as you said, their children, grandchildren, nieces and nephews. Uh, it also allows us to help the university know that these students are out there and hopefully as they grow up, and they decide where they want to go to college, if Iowa State is that option, we want to know that we've had an opportunity to pour into their lives. So it, again, is a great opportunity. Certain gifts will arrive on their birthday, and they'll start to receive things from birth all the way through graduation from Iowa State. So again, an absolutely wonderful program. Please go to the website and uh, sign your uh, child, grandchild, niece or nephew up for the program. Yes, my daughter Isley is signed up for the Legacy Club. She just got her uh, size chart in the mail with Cy on it, her height chart uh, in the mail. We hung that up in the basement. So very cool. Again, you can sign your future cycling up at isulum.org slash adventure squad. Well, since you gave that commercial there, Tony and Emmy, my two grandkids, are also members. <laughs> nice. Yes, very fun to see. And we get a lot of pictures of, of their kids when they get there. It's their birthday and they get their next uh, Legacy Club prize in the mail. So yeah, the neat thing is, is that it arrives in their name. My grandson yes. loves the fact that he gets oh, a yeah. envelope from Paul's office. He says, <laughs> "Very cool, well, Jeff." As we get started with our interview today, let's remind people: if they have questions, they can put them right in the chat wherever they're watching, whether it's on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, and we'll do our best to get to as many of those as we can. So, Jeff, why don't you introduce today's special guest? Sure will. Well, I'm very excited to be joined today by Paul Fellini. And I want to apologize to Paul. Paul's been at Iowa State now for four years, and we have not had a chance to meet. Uh, and I generally meet everyone when they arrive at Iowa State. So, Paul, nothing uh, 
terrible about that other than the fact that it hasn't happened. And then when we stepped into this situation with COVID, none of us have gotten around as much as we'd like to. But you lead a department of over 400 employees here at Iowa State uh, known as uh, facilities planning and management. And we all do things with uh, initials here at Iowa State. So we call it FPNM. And sometimes if we say it fast enough, it's FPNM and you don't really know what you're saying, but I appreciate your staff. I wanted you to know that uh, to begin with. Uh, they were instrumental in a lot that we did in this alumni center here. Uh, more importantly, as buildings were being taken offline here at Iowa State, they were able to help us salvage some of those pieces. And we have a number of that, those uh, historical pieces built into uh, the alumni center. But Paul's been here at Iowa State since 2017. So it's good to see you. Great to have an opportunity before we came online to have a, a small conversation. But again, welcome and thanks for being with us today. Well, thank you, Jeff. I appreciate the opportunity to be here and talk a little bit about what our folks do, primarily behind the scenes, but uh, supporting the university. Well, we know that this campus wouldn't be the place that it is if we didn't have a staff like your staff. So could you just talk a bit about the journey your department has been on for the past year, from the very beginning of the pandemic to all the work that went into making changes in campus buildings that would allow students to return to campus and faculty to return to the classroom in the fall, uh, to the efforts that you folks are know continue today. So give us just a backdrop of what that's been like. Well, last March around spring break, uh, when the university decided to shift to online classes and many of the faculty and staff uh, shifted to working from home, of course, most of our employees remained on campus uh, to operate and maintain the buildings and utility systems. Because even though the buildings were largely empty and even locked up in some cases, you know, we still had to go in there and check the heating and cooling system, the fire alarms. And we had to take on a new task of actually flushing the water lines to make sure there was clean water in, in the buildings. Uh, the next step for us was then to uh, evaluate all our active construction contracts. It was pretty unclear back there in March and early April of whether construction could even proceed under the new public health guidelines. And we had 50 active contracts underway on campus. But we found in working with the contractors, they were most of them were more than willing to comply with the, the new and changing public health guidance. They wanted to continue to work. And although we did have to defer a few projects, most of the projects did successfully continue to proceed under the new requirements. Uh, the next big thing for us, uh, people, a lot of people don't know it, but classroom scheduling, the actual scheduling of our classrooms is in our department. And the big question at the time last spring was, if we come back to in-person fall education, at what capacity? How many people can sit in a classroom when you got to be six feet apart and wearing face mask and, and some of the other requirements? So we evaluated and laid out our 200 plus classrooms for all kinds of different scenarios. 25% occupancy, six feet separation, 50% occupancy, and fed that to the academic uh, affairs group that was doing the planning for the fall semester and ultimately supported the decision of the university to come back to in-person fall education. Uh, then, then knowing we were coming back to in-person education, uh, we knew we were going to have to do more cleaning and disinfection on campus. Uh, Centers for Disease Control has some pretty good guidance on enhanced cleaning and disinfection for schools, universities, 
which was going to take more than our, the staff we had on board. So again, we looked at you know, 70, 80 different buildings and evaluating how, what could we clean, how often should we clean, what, how should we take care of the classrooms. Uh, Parks Library was a very interesting problem. Hmm. Uh, the biggest single probably common area on campus with the exception of maybe the Memorial Union. Uh, thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of students going there through the course of a semester. Uh, and we definitely had to increase the staffing there. So we ultimately uh, increased our staff about 50. And we've been performing extra cleaning and disinfection around campus ever since. Uh, and once we laid that in, uh, for most of July and August, we spent, we were busy getting the buildings ready. Uh, we had to lay out all those classrooms, literally marking cla you know, seats that should be occupied, should not be occupied, laying out where the instructors should stand so they had proper separation from the students. Interesting. Uh, yeah. We had put up 4,000 signs in all the buildings in terms of you know, reminding people about the cyclones, care, uh, guidance to wash your hands, stay six feet apart, keep, keep your face covering on. Uh, with central stores, we put out 250 new hand sanitizer stations around the campus. And then we, uh, uh, as the concern grew about airborne transmission of the virus, we had to check all our ventilation systems, make sure all the filters were working properly, make sure we were pulling in as much outdoor air as we could um, and, and deal with areas that did not have enough ventilation. And then finally, there were some office areas where people had to be on campus that we worked with them to rearrange the, the offices so they could stay uh, properly distanced while they were here. So it was a sprint from March to August. It was an absolute sprint uh, to get the campus ready for uh, in-person education. And I think uh, we, our efforts helped contribute to the fact that uh, almost no on-campus transmission of the virus was identified over the fall. Uh, right, right. I'd like to think we had a part in that. Well, there's a lot in that. I mean, you answered my first question I was going to do a follow-up and that is about increase in staff and then one of the things I think very few people are unaware is when you think about this being a research university there's so much behind the scenes to make sure that research continued uh, and you know there's animals there's faculty there's graduate students and and I think the new information that I was unaware of until last year when this all happened is the whole scheduling of classes process. And so, um, and then last thing I wanna mention is someone this week, I was reading in the in the Foundations Magazine, uh, they referred to custodians uh, by definition as guardians. Yeah. And that's a very, very important word right now in terms of how you folks have really taken care of this campus, which has led to taking care of the students, the faculty, the staff, and the inhabitants of this campus. So I want to end this part by just saying thank you uh, for that thorough answer, but more importantly, thank you for all that you folks do uh, to make it possible for us to carry on our work. As you look and think about uh, alumni, and I could go out right now and survey them, and any alumnus would tell us to a, a T from any decade that part of them coming to Iowa State, um, they bring up the campus. And if they don't bring it up, their parents bring it up. And if their parents don't bring it up, their brothers and sisters bring it up. But this, for many, was the beauty of this campus that attracted them to Iowa State University. It is definitely a point of pride for all of us Cyclones. Can you share a bit more about what goes on behind the scenes in order to maintain the campus's beauty 
and its relevancy because it's not just about keeping it the same. This campus actually changes, but there's so much of it that stays the same. So talk a little bit about that. Well, our uh, grounds crew uh, is actually about 50 folks altogether. Uh, it was supported by some staff landscape architects that we have. Uh, and they are, just like our custodians, very personally committed to maintaining the special sense of place uh, that is our campus. You know, the antidote is that for a, a new family or student that's coming to campus to look at it as a, as a potential place to go to college, you know, within 10 seconds, they're making that decision. Is this where I want to be or not? And we want to make sure uh, that Ames uh, is always a place that they want to be. So we do all our own planting, uh, fertilizing, treatments, trimming, cutting, cleaning up all the, the fall leaves from our beautiful tree canopy here on campus. We do that all with our own staff. Uh, and we take it to the to length that we actually have a database tied to a, a map of every tree on campus. And we have a maintenance and care plan for every tree and going out there and checking it, trimming it, and then planning for its replacement uh, you know, when it, be, when it uh, hits its life cycle. And we're actually working on a similar inventory for the major shrubs on campus. And we have arborists, we have, we have experts in plant and plants. Uh, we work with some of the faculty on campus to make sure we're putting the right plants and the right trees here uh, in a, that are right and suitable for, for Ames. Uh, it's a year-round effort, even though we go through a course in Iowa winter, uh, in between the snowstorms, which our grounds crew actually keep up with. They do all the plowing of the roads and sidewalks on campus. Uh, they're out there trimming trees, trimming shrubs, uh, planning on the spring planting, and then doing the, the normal uh, heavier maintenance on all our grounds equipment, making sure it's all ready to go for, for the spring. Something that most folks aren't aware of, uh, our folks are also charged with keeping an eye on Lancelot and Elaine down there on Lake Laverne. Make sure that the, uh, the bubbler is working on the lake so they always have some open water in the winter. They're making sure they are well fed and uh, happy to stay here on Ames. Uh, so that's how we kind of take care of the grounds, including our, our, our traditional swans. But you also spoke about uh, the changing campus. Uh, our design staff is very thoughtful and deliberate in the design and placement of new buildings on campus. You know, what are the exterior materials going to look like? How does that relate to the surrounding buildings? How tall should it be? How big should it be? And then they'll work with our landscape crew and our landscape architects and, okay, how do you landscape it in? How do you make it all blend together for the campus? And we hold sacrosanct, that beautiful green area between Beardshire and Curtis, uh, the other green area between parks and enrollment services, and we don't let anybody or anything get in there. <laughs> so uh, uh, they, they, we take it very seriously. We know that this is a, uh, a long-term uh, tradition, iconic almost, you could say, for our campus. We've been recognized for it. And, and we, like I said in the beginning, we want to maintain that special place. Well, you know, Paul, I look at it oftentimes, too, and I see how benches get added you know, we went from stone benches to metal benches and then trash cans get added. Now we have the recycle program, banners get added. Um, you think about the art that gets added. And so there's something happening with that landscape that creates, I think, an integration. And there has to be an incredible amount of collaboration that happens uh, because, again, the art is known on okay. campus and is very much a part of the uh, Iowa State fabric. 
and you mentioned Lancelot and the lane and the lake and 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 then this campus I've always thought you know it's not just a place of of, of a few shrub and 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 a few trees there's variety here um, and then you also mix in with that bulbs and some ornamentals and the list goes on and on so just thank you and your staff for the commitment and I know that budgets don't always align uh, to do everything that we would like to do but you all do an incredible job keeping this place looking great, which then leads me to maybe ask a question that some of us don't think about a lot. How does your department help the administration balance and address concerns around deferred maintenance? Because there has to be projects that we're either behind on or would like to get to. Uh, how does the campus stay looking so beautiful that maybe there's a false security there that there's no deferred maintenance? Uh, well, you were probably mentioned what is probably the biggest challenge in higher education facility management. And uh, that's not even unique to higher education. Uh, the American Society of Civil Engineers this year, or I think this week, just put out their uh, quadrennial report card on uh, public infrastructure across the country, and they didn't read it very well. So this is a continuing challenge for everybody. Uh, just to give you some feel for the scope, you know, we have over 7 million square feet of academic research and administrative buildings here on campus. That excludes our, our residence halls, uh, the recreational service buildings and the athletics uh, facilities. But for those core mission buildings, you know, where we do our teaching and research and where our faculty uh, live and work, uh, those buildings have an average year of now about 48 years. So you may not wanna look behind the skin of the building. You may not wanna look behind the walls all the time. Uh, the buildings are heavily used. You know, any given semester, there are thousands of students, faculty and staff going through them and, and using those doors, using those restrooms, walking those halls. Uh, so they're, they're heavily used. They are aging. We are not necessarily able to keep up with everything as we would like to and you know, replace every building component at the end of its life. So uh, perhaps it doesn't break down ahead of us. Probably the two biggest limitations we have are, as you alluded to, money, affordability. Uh, the funding for our deferred maintenance program comes from tuition and state appropriations, which pays for a lot here on campus in terms of our academic and research missions. Uh, the second challenge, and, and a lot of people don't think about it, is executability. Uh, our buildings are very heavily used. Uh, they are busy and, and fully utilized during the fall and spring semesters. So just getting into them to be able to say, renew do a whole building or maybe a wing of a building uh, revitalization project is a real challenge. And there's only so much you can do over the summer months. Uh, yeah, we, we're, we have to be very aware of putting this stuff back together so it's ready for fall classes. So what we do is our staff will regularly assess the condition of our various building systems and components, such as our roofs, the windows, the heating and cooling systems, the electrical, the plumbing, the restrooms, et cetera. And they'll kind of maintain a prioritized running list of uh, things that need to be addressed based on the condition, based on the breakdown frequency that we see. And then every year we will bring those recommendations to a uh, university committee, which is chaired by my boss, the Senior Vice President for Operations and Finance, Ann Kane. We have senior representatives on that committee from Academic Affairs, Student Affairs, the Vice President for Research, and we will bring to them an annual program of repairs that we recommend assessing the risk, assessing the condition, making the best use of our resources. 
And once we get their approval, we'll then design it. And then we'll actually we do all that work by contract. We put it out there, competitively bid it, try to get the best possible price we can for it to uh, make the best use of those dollars. Uh, but it's a, uh, it's a continuing challenge. All right. Now, I wanted to also mention, most folks may have never heard of this word because I know I didn't when it happened this year, a derecho. And we did a coverage of the campus's impact uh, from that derecho uh, in the winter issue of Visions Magazine. And so for those who are listening, who are members of the association, they received that publication. But Paul, as you think about that, and you were dealing with this pandemic, and then all of a sudden we were hit by this derecho. And as you and I talked earlier, we were also hit by this snow squall which we had more snow this year and the impact of that. But share more about some of the damage that was seen on campus and how your unit has had to deal with that damage. Yes, remember it well, Monday, August 10th, one week before classes. As I said, we are racing to get the campus ready to reopen for classes the following week. And we were surprised as anyone by the ferocity of that storm. I was here on campus and I'm sure like others living in the area or in the path of that terrible storm, I mean, I could not see anything out my windows for, for probably a good half hour. Uh, that There was so much rain, so much wind. Uh, we lost campus. Uh, we lost power on campus at the same time as did the entire city of Ames, not because of the city, but because two major transmission lines went down that were serving the, uh, the city and the, and the campus. Fortunately, we got the power back up late that evening. But despite the lack of power, and using a forklift to open our equipment garage door, uh, we got the heavy equipment out there. And that day, we started pulling trees and limbs off of buildings. We had a major tree hit our buildings, as a matter of fact, right here uh, on our building. Uh, fortunately, although we had about 30 buildings with some damage or some impact, none of it was serious. Uh, we learned a good lesson. It turns out greenhouses are pretty tough. We had a uh, big ventilation unit fly off the roof of Bessie Hall landed on the greenhouse that sits up there on Bessie Hall. Uh, yeah, it broke some glass, but the structure stood. Hmm. Uh, basically enough, uh, we had over 40 trees on campus that were a total loss that we had to take down, uh, another 100 trees or so that we've had to trim and take major limbs off of. Frankly, we're still doing it. Uh, we're still doing some of the outlying trees uh, and taking off the major limbs or cutting them down. In total, I think we totaled a little over half a million dollars so far in, in damage to the campus, uh, buildings, grounds, the cost to re restore power on campus. Uh, maybe a little low for our insurance coverage. We do have a pretty high deductible for our insurance, but uh, there is a state program uh, that, that uh, we have been uh, feeding information to, to that uh, may be able to provide us some financial relief on some of that. Now we, made we made it. Like when Monday came and campus opened, the walks, the roads, the parking lots, everything was clear. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. And the other thing I was going to ask is, did we find out anything about the integrity of some of our trees that maybe surprised us? Oh, sure. Uh, trees, just like buildings, they can look fine on the outside. And, and when they crack open, you'll find that there was some interior rot there that you didn't know about. Um, but we also lost some very healthy mature trees. Uh, it was that powerful the storm. And I know it was not as powerful here as it was when it went east and hit like Cedar Falls. Correct. But it was 
pretty good storm here. Well, Paul, I want to thank you for connecting uh, with the association and with our constituents today. We appreciate you and all that you and your team do uh, for the university uh, to keep this place looking and operating in the way that it should and can. And I know that you all are staying up to date on all the latest technology and other features to make sure that Iowa State remains a relevant university. Uh, but I want to say, as we all say, it's always great to come home. It's always great to come to this campus. Uh, you're never surprised at how Iowa State looks. And I think it says a lot, too, about the community here that people help take care of Iowa State. I know your staff does an incredible job, but there's a lot of respect for this campus that comes from our students and our visitors, as well as our faculty and staff. But thank you again to you and your department, and thanks for letting us have an opportunity to spotlight facilities, planning, and management, and give us a chance to get to know you. And again, welcome to the Iowa State family. Well, thank you, Jeff. It's been a pleasure being here, and uh, it sounds like our folks are, are doing their jobs. So thank you very much for those guys. They are, and thank you. Have a great rest of the week, and go Cyclones. You too. Thank you. Take care. All right, Jeff. Thanks so much to you and Paul for that. It's, it's so interesting to hear from Paul about the, the different perspectives he brings from all the different areas of campus. Because you said FPM covers such a wide variety on campus. I actually spent some time with the facilities crew as they were getting ready to, to clean the classrooms, getting ready for campus. And one thing that really stood out to me is just how much those people care about Iowa State and care about the university. You may not see them all the time, but they're behind the scenes getting our, our classrooms and campus beautiful and ready for, for the students here. Well, what I have learned in my 23 years here is that when you talk to any one of the custodial staff, they will tell you to a T, whatever facility that they are working in, that is their facility. I mean, they treat it and the people who operate in it as though that's part of their family. And so we're lucky here at Iowa State. And I've always yep. told the story when I was um, working on this alumni center, one of the things that I really was impressed with is we wanted to name this hall over here, the Hall of Fame. And when I was on campus, I happened to overhear a uh, staff member with FPNM say, we really don't like awards. You know, this was given to us and we feel a responsibility to take care of it. And uh, I just think that is, you know, again, talk about Iowa humility, you know, talk about, you know, again, uh, not wanting attention. But the bottom line is there's a deep care for this place and it is evident as you walk this campus. Uh, so again, this was a great opportunity to be with Paul today. And I think the world of him and his staff and the work that they do and the campus that they give us to do our work. Right, we did have somebody comment as well. Brian commented that he may or may not have extended his education in Ames by a semester due to his love for walking on campus. I think we've all felt that uh, we wanted to spend a little more time here as students. So uh, just wanted to throw that comment out there. Thanks to everyone who watched as well. Uh, we hope to see you next week. We have a really fun guest, Jeff. Jeff I know you know who this is. Kyvin Gadsen is gonna be joining oh, me. Are you he's, gonna uh, get some ice cream? He, you know what, so interesting you bring it up. So we'll be talking about a new ice cream that he helped create with the ISU Creamery, okay. partnered with them, um, as he gets ready to, to train for the Olympic trials. Uh, the Olympic trials coming up in April, first week of April. So those are coming right up. So we'll talk to him about training for that uh, and a lot of other things. So stay tuned for that. That'll be next Wednesday at noon. Well, Jeff, thanks so much. 
Well, like I said, I haven't had a chance to meet Paul physically. So, Paul, you and I will go out for ice cream. Sounds like a plan. All right, Jeff, thanks so much to you. Thanks so much to Paul Fellini from Facilities Planning and Management. Have a great rest of your week, Cyclones Everywhere. We'll see you next time. Bye now. This series is made possible by members of the Alumni Association. If you are interested in staying connected to the university and receiving all the benefits and services of being a member, visit isualum.org.